Thank you. Oh, yes! If you don't recognize what that is, hold on, that's just, we're continuing to worship right there. Just hold on. That was, David, that's funny. That was the 11 o'clock special. So, um, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're fundamentally committed to two things. Jesus and Ohio State football. And... (laughs) And when you study the one, it leads you to the other. It's just true. It's just true. Did you say go Bucks? Because it sounds like what you said. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, ha- I-, I have not seen you since our dynasty was reestablished. So I just wanted to say hello. If you are new or in high school, welcome. We are so glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rusty, you're rusty. Um, if you are new to our community, we really want to welcome you. There is a connect card, uh, hopefully in the seat back in front of you. Fill that out uh, and give that to one of our ushers. Or there's a uh, place called Guest Central out in the lobby. Hey, big news, though. um, In uh, two weeks, three weeks, Super Bowl Sunday, February 1st, we are giving you the gift of time. So we're moving all of our service times half an hour later. So this is good news for this service because every other service shows up on time. So, so for you guys, many of you show up at 11.30 anyway, and so this, you just come like you'd normally show up, and we'll just go a little later, that's all right? So, so our 8 o'clock service is going to move to 8.30 and have children's ministry, which is new. Um, our 9, what do we do, 9.30? 9.30 service is going to move to 10, and our 11 o'clock service is going to move to 11.30. Now, these, the services in here will all have... Uh, the same sort of contemporary worship style. We're starting a classic, we're calling it a classic venue in the commons. That's going to have choir orchestra led by a great guy named John Tabay. That's going to meet at 8.30 and at 10. Part of, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be. No, uh, what are you clapping for there? The, the hymns and the choir and orchestra? Absolutely. Okay, I will see you there. Okay. Um, at, at what time? At 10? Okay, now, this young lady represents the temptation of all of you to move to the 10 o'clock service. Will we have room for you? No, we will not have room for you. So please keep coming to this one, except for this young lady whose name is Liz. Liz, you can go to the 10 o'clock common service, all right? So common service will have live teaching, same message, all of those things like we've been doing with the commons now. We have a common service going on uh, parallel right now. It's just we are changing uh, the style of worship music. And so anyway, make sure you're paying attention because, well, for some of you that are still coming in, it'll, you'll just be on time. You'll be early. You'll be going, what in the world? So um, anyway, that's coming up. Make sure you're paying attention to that. If you have a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 19. We're in a series in the book of Luke. Thank you. Got to get that out of the way. Uh, and it's a year for Star Wars, guys. It's back. It's back. So Luke, it's not coincidence. We are studying Luke when a new Star Wars movie is coming out. That, all of that is of Jesus too. Now, um, one of the things we do a lot around here, if you're new, is even though we're Exodus chapter 19, one of the things we do is we spend a lot of time in what Christians call the Old Testament before we get to the passage we're looking at. And I want to remind you of the reason for that, because every now and again someone will ask me, why do we spend so much time in the Old Testament? And the answer is, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible, okay? Jesus, when Jesus is talking about and quoting from the Bible, that's the Bible he was working with. 
We believe Jesus is the continuation and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We believe also that you can, anybody can pick up the Bible and benefit from it, but we believe that you can spend the rest of your life studying it and still learn new things. And so we see the Old Testament not as some optional where God was angry and then Jesus comes and now He's happy. We actually see it as one whole story that's repeated with greater emphasis. So the shadows get clearer and clearer and clearer and then shine just with absolute radiance on this Jesus. But all of it, all of it was a, a, a recapitulation of what had happened before. So we spent a lot of time doing background. And part of it is, uh, many of us have heard these texts before, so we're trying to make them new and fresh. But another sense, we're just trying to appreciate the depth of what it is the gospel writers are doing. So often we think the Bible was just kind of randomly put together. Well, Jesus did this and Jesus did that and here's a cute little Jesus story. But we want to show how the whole thing fits. So we're going to be in Exodus for a little bit before we get to Luke. Exodus 19. This is a story where Moses has been used by God to deliver the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. God has led them to a mountain called Sinai, and he's about to meet with them. Verse 9 of Exodus 19, we'll put everything up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense, and then what's it say? Dense cloud. This word cloud, I really want you to hang on to. So that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Jump down to verse 16, same chapter. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled because this was so intense. So, very early in the Jewish story, there is an association with God appearing to His people in the form of a cloud. Now, the Jews knew back then, as we know today, that God exists everywhere but that there would be times when he would manifest his presence. And the Jews had a word for this. They called it his Shekinah glory. It was, it was his glory that you could actually see. So you could see the cloud over the mountain. Now, flip over, if you would, to chapter 24. And we're going to read a bit more about this. Chapter 24, verse uh, 13. The, the people are so intimidated by the cloud and the voice of God that comes from the cloud. They, they just say, hey, could you talk to this Moses? God, could you just talk to Moses and then he can fill us in on what you said? So Moses gets called up to the cloud, verse 13. Moses set out with Joshua his aide. Moses went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, which were the leaders of Israel, wait here for us until we come back. Two leaders, Aaron and Hur, are with you. Anyone involved in dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. So again, this association with God's glory manifesting itself in the form of a cloud on top of a mountain. Are you with me so far? Yes. Go if you would to chapter 34. Now, Moses comes back down from this cloud, and I want you to notice something that happens to him. Chapter 34, verse 29. Notice this, chapter 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law, the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant 
which is like glowing is another way of saying that, because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, but they were afraid to come near him. So notice in Exodus 19, the cloud appears and the people are afraid. Moses goes into the cloud, his face now radiates, and the people are afraid. In fact, people were so intimidated by this, he would actually have to veil his face till the radiance sort of dissipated. But I want you to see the connection between cloud and mountain and radiance, all right? Now, the last passage in Exodus, go to chapter 40. Part of what Moses was instructed to do when he was up meeting with God was to build something called a tabernacle. And that's a fancy word for like a big tent complex that the Israelites would carry with them. And God had promised that he would dwell among his people. He wasn't just going to stay on top of the mountain. He was going to come down the mountain and dwell with the people in this tent, this tabernacle. So at the end of Exodus, notice this cloud comes down. Verse 34, Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Again, cloud and glory, symbolic of God's presence. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and all the travels of the Israelites. Whenever the cloud lifted up from the tabernacle, they would go and follow the cloud. But if the cloud stayed where it was, they did not set out either until the day it moved. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, fire was, over the, fire was in the cloud by night, and the sight of Israelites over all their travel. So what happened in the book of Exodus is that God delivers his people, meets with them in the form of a cloud, and says, I'm going to dwell among you. So this cloud now fills this tent, and, and thus begins the journey of Israel with the tent and the cloud to the promised land. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. We are now on the cusp of the promised land. Now again, if you're just totally like, what's this have to do with anything? You're not alone, first of all. And secondly, this is all just set up for when we get to Luke and you'll see why we're covering this stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is the final sermon of a man named Moses to the people of Israel. It's been 40 years since they built that tabernacle. A whole generation of Israelites have died. Remember, they were at the promised land once. They rebelled, so they wandered for 40 years. Now they're back. Moses is reminding them of all the lessons they've learned of the law God's given. Tucked in Deuteronomy 18 is a promise that that in Jesus' day was interpreted to be messianic. All right, so this was a promise about the coming rescuer. Notice verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. And then read this next statement with me. What's it say? You must listen to him. And then it moves on. Now this kind of obscure passage gets turned into the hope for a new Moses. Moses led the nation of Israel on something called an exodus, right? From out of slavery into liberation. The hope was in the Old Testament that there would be a new Moses, a prophet just like Moses, who would lead Israel on a new exodus out of slavery and into liberation. So by Jesus' day, there was a lot of talk of a new exodus. I know this is fascinating. 
but we've got to go to Malachi just to make it more. Now, I know, I sense, I sense your weariness. I sense the warmness of the room combining with the coldness of the air outside making you warm and sleepy. The soothing sound of my voice doing the same. I understand, but go to Malachi. Let's make it worse. Malachi, if you don't know where that is, go to Matthew and turn left. Malachi is the last book of uh, our Old Testament. And there's something here I want to draw your attention to. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Now notice the two figures that are mentioned here. Remember the law of my servant Moses. The decrees and laws I gave him at Sinai for all Israel. See, I will send the great prophet who? Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Now, this is, I'm pulling this totally out of context. There's a big context here. But what I want to show you is that Moses is associated with the law and Elijah was associated with coming back before the Messiah would come. All right? I just want all of this background in your head as we turn to Luke chapter 9. You're welcome. See, that wasn't so bad. Luke chapter 9. See, now we're going to read some stuff in Luke and you're going to go, oh yeah, oh yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for making me go to Exodus. Exodus. Luke chapter 9. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you're just thinking, uh, when's lunch? Luke chapter 9. Um, let's go to verse 28. Now, if you were here last week, Aaron uh, shared about how one of the really central facets of Luke chapter 9 is this question, who is Jesus? And um, Jesus sits down with his disciples, says, who do people say that I am? They give an answer. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are God's Messiah. Like this, yes, they finally get it. But evidently, knowing that, they were, that, that Jesus was God's Messiah wasn't enough because Jesus immediately says, don't tell anybody. And he begins to clarify that God's Messiah will actually suffer and die, which for them, they weren't really anticipating. Now, after that episode, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James and went up uh, onto a what? A mountainside. Okay, so that's big. And they went up on a mountainside to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, if you're, a good, uh, if you're a good Jewish person, you know exactly what we're talking about here. We're up on a mountain with a radiant face. Whoa, who's that sound like? Well, that's Moses, right? That's Moses' stuff. So we're up on a mountainside. Mo- Moses' face was transfigured, but Jesus' face is transfigured, yes. But his whole body now radiates. Like as bright as lightning is the picture. Two men, Moses and Elijah... Oh, I think we just read about them. Appeared in glorious splendor talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Circle that word. We're going to come back to that word. That is so important. Which Jesus was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy like you. And, and it's interesting. Peter and his companions sleep during some really big points of this story. 
<laughs> Peter's companions were very sleepy. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the two men, Moses and Elijah, were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke adds this parenthetical comment. Peter did not know what he was saying. Now, imagine you're Peter, and you get a copy of Luke in the mail. Aren't you, aren't you just a little bummed? Like, Luke, did you have to include that part? I don't know. So, so I, I just, hopefully, there are like some warning bells going off on the, on the dashboard here. Because what we've got is Jesus agreeing that he is God's Messiah, but recognizing the disciples don't understand what kind of Messiah he's to be. So now he's up in a mountainside, praying. His face changes. Oh, so this is kind of a Moses kind of event. And then Moses and Elijah show up. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham and Isaac or Esther and Ruth or whatever? Well, we just saw for Malachi, Moses represented the law. Elijah was the one prophet that didn't die. He was taken up into heaven and expected to return. So it makes total sense that the law and the prophets would come to meet with Jesus. Okay, so this, this, this is the Bible's way of telling you it's all one story. That the law and the prophets, and, and in fact, the book of Luke ends with Jesus saying, hey, the law and the prophets talk about me. Well, now we have the representative of the law, Moses, the covenant lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet who didn't die but was taken up to heaven and expected to return. Now they're meeting with Jesus. And here's the key, guys. Really pay attention here. They're talking to him about his departure. Okay, and I asked you to circle that word. The word in Greek is the word exodus. Okay, it sounds like departure means death. And indeed, that word is used that way later in the New Testament. But here it means, you could not miss it if you're Jewish. They're talking to Jesus, who on a mountaintop has a radiant face as a new Moses about a new exodus, right? And the new exodus, this departure they're speaking of, isn't the journey that Jesus is going to take to Jerusalem. The departure and the exodus is what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to die, be buried, rise again, and ascend to the Father. And that event for new covenant people is exactly what the Moses event was for old covenant people. That God is delivering people again out of bondage and into freedom. That God is delivering people again from alienation into relationship. You could not miss this if you're Jewish. And it's so profound, Peter, I love Peter, says, hey, let's put up some tents and let's stay a while. And the Greek word for tent is actually a word that was used... uh, uh, There was a feast in the Old Testament called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And what you would do is that you would build these temporary shelters outside of Jerusalem and live in them for seven days to remind you of God's faithfulness during the first exodus in the wilderness. And this festival also looked forward to the new exodus. So it was quite natural, and if you missed that, it's totally okay. It was quite natural, though, for Peter as a good Jewish guy to say, hey, let's build some booths right here. Let's build some shelters. Now, we have to understand why that was such a bad idea. Are you following me so far? I mean, are we relatively clear? And I need, like, back of the room talking to me for a second. You guys look awake, but you have to. Because I can see you. Back of the room. You guys okay? All right, now, now, the reason this is so important to me 
Thank you for the four of you who waved. I'm so very grateful. The reason this is important is this is thick stuff. But I, I firmly believe that one of the gifts of the Scriptures to us is uh, the fact that we can hear the same things over and over and over and always see something new. So I always want to press into the fact that it's deep and that relevance is coming, even though we may lose some folks along the way. Now, while Peter was saying this, hey, let's build some shelters, notice verse 34. While Peter was speaking, what happened? A cloud appeared and covered them. Now, holy cow, you guys. We've got a new Moses, a new Exodus, a face full of radiance, and now a cloud shows up. Now, I cannot tell you how significant this is because... The cloud meets with the people of Mount Sinai. The cloud fills the tabernacle in 1 Kings. The cloud fills the temple. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel gets a vision of this same cloud leaving the temple as the nation of Israel was sent into exile. The cloud hadn't been seen in Israel for generations. So when all of a sudden, a cloud appears, and to the Jewish mind, a cloud symbolizes only one thing, and that is the manifest glory of God in His presence and blessing over His people. When a cloud appears on a mountaintop with a radiant-faced guy, where do you have it? You're having exactly what we read about in Exodus. That same event is happening now with Jesus. Right? The, the manifest blessing and provision and, and presence of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is now here. In the Old Testament, oh, you poor guy. I know the Heimlich. I've been dying to try it on somebody. You might be dying for me to try it on you too. Now, that was funny. Now, in the Old Testament, the cloud shows up everyone's afraid, right? And they say literally, Moses, you go talk to the cloud. We don't want to mess with the cloud. And remember, when, when Moses comes back with a radiant face, the people are afraid. So what's naturally going to happen to Peter, James, and John? They're going to be terrified. Because the cloud was terrifying. If you didn't prepare yourself, you could not go into the cloud unclean. You would die. The cloud... The cloud was awesome. It was majestic, but it was so utterly holy you never got near. Okay, so when the cloud shows up, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. The cloud that you've been dreaming of and yearning for and reading about, that same cloud shows up. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. All right? And you can understand why. A voice from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. And then what's the last line? Listen to Him. Oh, oh, that just sounds like something we just read, correct? Deuteronomy 18. A prophet will come like me. You must listen to Him. Now, look out. You got it? I, I am I'm the picture of health. That's right. Now, if you're Jewish and you're seeing this, see, the, the highlight of the book of Luke isn't when Peter says, oh, you're God's Messiah. The highlight of the book of Luke the high point of the book of Luke 
is when all three strands of Old Testament prophecy come together in one voice from the cloud that hadn't been seen in Israel. This is my son is a reference to Psalm 2, the king that would come to rule over Israel, whom I have chosen is a reference to Isaiah 42, the suffering servant who would suffer for the sake of the nations. Listen to him is the prophet in Deuteronomy 18 that was promised. So what you have in one picture are all the strands of Old Testament promise woven together and affirmed by a voice from a cloud that had not been seen in Israel in generations. That's what you have. The clearest, definitive answer to the question, who is Jesus? He's everything that was promised. And it's the presence, the very presence of the cloud of Yahweh declaring this to be true. And the reason Peter was mistaken in saying, hey, let's stay here, is that this same promised Messiah had work to do. This departure, this exodus he was to undergo. And so, our little story ends with this. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept all this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen because their minds were blown You just think we're going up with this Galilean guy to go pray on a mountainside and pretty soon you've got a cloud on a mountain with a radiant face. Everyone's afraid. A new Moses, new Exodus. The Son of God that was promised is a kingly Messiah, the suffering servant of David promised. And all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, the Shekinah glory of God that had not been seen in Israel for generations is now affirming that yes, this is indeed Messiah and this Messiah must suffer, undergo an Exodus. Holy moly, this was huge. Because the whole chapter, and literally the whole book, had been building up to this. Flip back up in Luke chapter 8, 9, excuse me, go to verse 7. The whole chapter has been building to this. Verse 7, chapter 9. Now Herod, we've met Herod before. Go back into our archives if you don't know who this guy is. He was a little scummy. He murdered uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Herod the Tetrarch heard about what was going on with Jesus. And he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, which Herod wasn't bright, but he knew how beheading worked. So that seemed a bit odd. Others had said Elijah had appeared. And remember, people believed that Elijah would come back when the Messiah came. And so others said that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? Now, brothers and sisters, this question, who is this, is the question that drives the whole chapter. So, we've heard from the crowds, who is this? Now, Jesus asks His disciples, flip over, verse 18, once, when Jesus was praying in private and His disciples were with Him, Jesus said, who do the crowds say that I am? And the disciples give the same answer as what Herod heard. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. So others say that you're one of the prophets. Come back to life. And then Jesus very famously says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're God's Messiah. And we think, yes, he's got it. They finally got it. But notice, verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone Which is so odd if the whole book's been building this. Why would you keep it quiet? But then you realize Peter's understanding of what Messiah meant was far different from Jesus' understanding of what Messiah meant. 
And so Jesus said the Son of Man, a reference to himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. This, guys, this was crazy. And then, not, not only is that crazy, then he says to them all, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, for those of us who've been raised in church, we've heard this so much it's lost its power. But understand what Jesus has just said. Yes, Peter, I'm Messiah. Don't tell anybody because the Messiah actually has to suffer. Now, in the Jewish worldview, Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs conquer suffering. Messiahs deal with Romans. Messiahs deal with pagans and Gentiles. They don't suffer. And then when Jesus says, and not only am I going to suffer, but you have to take up your cross. This is the first time the word cross has been mentioned in Luke. A cross was an instrument of torture. A cross was an instrument of injustice and oppression. That would be like a Jewish man at a concentration camp during World War II saying, take up your gas chamber and follow me. What are you talking about? Or during the French Revolution, someone walking around saying, take up your guillotine and follow me. What? Take up your cross? I mean, we we turn this into jewelry for crying out loud. This... I mean, this was the most offensive thing you could be saying. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I will suffer. And you must walk that way too. Are you kidding? And so to the Jewish mind, the glory of God and suffering didn't fit together. So what is the point of the story on the mountain? The transfiguration story as we call it. Point number one. Jesus is... The Messiah, and not just the Messiah, but divine Himself. Jesus is all of the strands of Old Testament promise wrapped into one. The cloud blesses and affirms Him, and later New Testament writers say Jesus isn't just another prophet, but He's God in human flesh. He's the cloud coming off the mountain. See, in the Old Testament, you couldn't approach the mountain or the cloud But in Jesus, the cloud takes on flesh and blood. In Jesus, the cloud comes down the mountain into the world of dirt and blood and pain and sin. And now you could touch and approach this Jesus. The author of Hebrews will say that Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. Jesus is the cloud taking on human flesh. And that is the Christian story, men and and women. If you're here, you, you have to answer the question, who is Jesus? A good moral teacher is an option. Another prophet in a long line of prophets, that's an option. But the Scripture's teaching is that He is the cloud coming down from the mountain. He is He is the divine one who forego all of His privileges as being equal with God to take on the very form of servant. See, the Christian story isn't that God founded a new religion in Jesus. Or that Jesus is just another way to God. Jesus is God's way to us. And so what's being affirmed on the mountain is not only Jesus' sonship and servantship and kingship, but it's the fact that He is in the flesh what the cloud was in the Old Testament Scriptures. And and that means now you didn't have to be afraid 
Like, you're going to have stories now of, of people fighting through crowds just to touch the hem of his rope and robe. And you're going to have stories now where, where people are like, like cutting through a roof and dropping their friends down. And you just have a, this is the definitive revelation of what God's like. And so, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God in human form, Jesus is God with clothes on. Jesus is what it looks like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. He's the definitive revelation. All the other revelations were partial. He is the exact representation of God's glory. So that cloud that was associated with glory, it's him. And then here's the kicker. What is also affirmed on the mountaintop is that this God will suffer and die. And that is to his glory also. At the same time Jesus is glowing, they're talking about his death. At the same time Jesus is glowing, they're talking about his suffering. At the same time Jesus is glowing, they're talking about his exodus, his departure, his betrayal, the denial, all of that stuff. To the Jews, suffering and glory didn't fit together. So how could a Messiah suffer? But on the mountaintop, what's it say? The same one that is glorified is the same one that will suffer. The same one that is spoken of by the voice is the same one that immediately, the next episode in the book of Luke is Jesus encountering someone who's demon-possessed. That Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. And this is why it was so inappropriate for Peter to say, let's stay here. Because that wasn't the point. The point wasn't just to see His glory. The point then was to see Him suffer and die. And then, so are you with me on this? I mean, I'm sweating up a storm. It's hot. Am I making any sense? First thing, who is Jesus? The cloud is affirming His Messiahship, His Sonship, His Kingship, His suffering servantship. He's the new prophet, a new Moses, a new Exodus. The cloud appears. The law and the prophets bless Him. The voice from heaven blesses Him. Yes. But more than that, this same glorified One will now suffer. And this made no sense that God will conquer evil by allowing its triumph over Him. God will conquer death by dying. God will conquer suffering by suffering. Nobody saw that coming. So not only was His glory and Messiahship and Sonship affirmed, it was the fact that for the first time the disciples actually maybe began to understand that the manifest glory of God wouldn't be found only on the mountain. It would be found in the midst of suffering and death. That was something no one saw happening. That glory isn't just those moments when it's awesome. It's found also in the blood and the guts of human life. And so Peter says, let's stay here. And the voice says, no. And then the third step. Who He is, that yes, He will suffer. And then the third step. If anyone will follow, they must come down from the mountain now think about what that means I I heard an advertisement for a church and I'm not huge into bashing other churches and I I don't even remember the name of the church but there was an advertisement that just said uh, it was something like tips and, and techniques for better living come to our church and um and I remember thinking man I'd much rather have a Jesus who does that than the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus doesn't want to make your current life better. He wants to destroy the life you could have apart from Him and replace it with the life you have with Him, in Him, through Him, and for Him. 
And so what Jesus isn't interested in is improving your life. He's not interested in making you a better husband, a better father, a better worker, or or a better uh, wife or daughter or whatever. He's not interested in just doing little tweaks here and there. He wants to tear the whole thing down. That's what it means to take up your cross, take up your guillotine, take up your gas chamber. That's what that actually means. If you're going to follow a God who doesn't stay in glory on the mountain, but enters into flesh and blood and dirt and bone, if you're going to follow that kind of God, then that's where He He's going to lead you. Glory just isn't found in beautiful religious experiences or mastery of doctrine. Glory is found when you pour yourself out for the sake of the nations in the same way the God who being very equal in nature with God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but He gave it up. Taking the very nature of a servant, if you want to follow Jesus, this is the path to following Jesus. If you want to know where His glory is found, it's not just found on the mountaintop. It's found when anybody in His name is pouring themselves out, foregoing the privileges they have of wealth or comfort, security or whatever, and pouring themselves out in self-sacrifice for the world. That is the glory of God. And that is the invitation given to you. Not to tweak your life. Not to improve it. Not to make you a better person or more moral. Lord knows. We don't need that. We have enough of that. This is something far more radical. This is the cloud coming off the mountain, entering into our world, renewing and reshaping people who will then enter into that same messy world too. And so brothers and sisters, what we do here is irrelevant if it's not following the cloud down the hill. And so the invitation, if you've never accepted Jesus, I beg you, I exhort you, I plead with you to consider Him. To open yourself up to the idea that he isn't a figment of the religious imagination. We're just not in it for money. We have actually other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning like watching playoff games. But there's something that's real about him. We believe he's risen, he's alive, he's active on planet earth. And he loves you. If you've never given your heart to him, I beg you to give your heart to him. But if you're here and you have done that, then the invitation is to follow Him the way He defines followership. See, the way I define followership is, hey Jesus, I'm doing all this stuff, can you bless it? Right? Hey Jesus, will you bless my business? Hey Jesus, will you... And this test, Jesus, will you help me to remember what I studied? Even if I didn't really study it, I pray that you'd help me. Or hey Jesus, turn this ice cream into broccoli to my body. Right? I I, I guess that's what bless this food to my body means. I don't know. But the whole thing is the cloud, me saying to the cloud, all right, come here, come here, come here. Hey, I'm doing this. Can you bless this, bless this? See, following Jesus is you saying, here's all that you've given. Okay, cloud, where are you you going? I went in on that. I went in on that. I've tried this. I went in on that. That's what Jesus is looking for. Are just folks who are willing to forego whatever privilege you have for the sake of the world. And so as he will say, yes, it's losing your life, but it's also saving it. Yes, it's giving up everything, but it's getting everything in return. So close your eyes for a moment. Father, may we again be captured by how beautiful you are. Lord, what I wouldn't give for a moment like Peter, James, and John had, where we just get a glimpse of your glory, But I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would do such amazing work in us, that you would reveal yourself to us, 
that we would get a glimpse again that would be so compelling that selling everything, dropping everything, leaving everything to follow you would just be no hardship at all. And Father, that you would begin to build and continue to build a community here of people who are simply willing to go wherever the cloud goes. Who are not afraid, but who enter boldly because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And who are transfixed on his beauty and majesty. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can do that. So we ask that you would, in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.